really a, a stirring, as the pastor talked about that heap of coals and it, how it needed stirred in order to, to begin burning again. Uh, I, you know, to me, it's, it's been a real stirring in my heart and uh, a real reminder. And, and I was thinking about it, and it's along that line that I want us to uh, look at the word tonight. I, you know, it's reminded me that Christ could rapture the church at any moment. Think about that. Any moment, it could happen. We shouldn't have to be reminded, but but I do. <laughs> it's like things are going on, you know. We're okay. It could happen at any moment. And it's going to happen when? We least expect it. That's scary, isn't it? I wonder what we'll be doing. Hopefully we'll have our lamps with us full of oil. Trim, ready to go. It also uh, has reminded me to be prepared and ready at any time. And losing Dusty this last week has been one of those times. Um, I had no idea who Dusty was when I was praying Wednesday night, only to find out Thursday. He's the guy that's been buying firewood off of me for four years. And we spent some time together. And um, he's, he's, he was the kind of person, if you would look at him, you'd think it would be no way that he would be gone at this point. A, a tower of strength, uh, a, a man who worked uh, in power line and that kind of thing, husky, <laughs> could do anything. Last time he came and got some wood, I had a pile in front of it that I hadn't put away yet. He wanted a locust in the back, so guess what he did? He carried all that locust up over that pile of wood. That was dusty. That was the kind of a guy. And I, you know, his wife and, and son need our prayers. It also has reminded me to use any openings that we have to proclaim the good news of salvation. And maybe as important as anything to keep short accounts or make no long-term promises because we don't know. And... As, as I've been thinking about these last days, the last day's study, I was kind of challenged to look uh, and review Jesus' last days here on earth as he was leading up to uh, that, the time where he was going to be crucified. And I wanted to see what some of his actions and his teachings were. And um, he knew time was short. It seemed like no one else understood that, but he did. So in Luke 17 is where I'd like to start. Um, I'm going to skip a lot tonight, so you know we're going to just uh, move through this. Um, verse one, and and if you you know if you look back before that, he's talking about the rich man and Lazarus, and I think you know that that story and how the gulf was between them, and, and uh, as they were both in in their uh, resting place, and he said to his disciples. It is impossible that no offenses should come. Now, think about that. We're, we're in these times, and basically he's saying there are going to be offenses. And as I look at that, it, it's talking about uh, stumbling blocks, things that we might stumble over. It, it really refers more to a snare or a trap that has a trigger. And any of you have ever trapped, you know, there's a... There's a trigger that needs to be stepped on. Maybe you've trapped a mouse, okay? You know that trigger? When, 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 when it's stepped on, we don't have, it has no time to remove, does it? And, and, and that's the kind of thing that he's talking about. And he says it's, 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 it is impossible that there won't be any offenses, things that are going to cause others to sin. And, and our, our prayer needs to be, as we read on there, that our actions and words do affect others, our family, our friends, and, and our neighbors. And we need to be careful that, that we don't cause that offense. And just in, in case we don't take it serious enough, verse 2 said, It would be better for that person if a millstone were hung around his neck. Have you seen a millstone? Many of them are huge things. Usually have a hole in the middle that you know so used to grind feed. You imagine a chain through that, and that hung around our neck. We're we're tossed into a pond. 
two seconds, we're gone, right? It won't take any time at all. And he said that would be better than for us to cause an offense. Think about that. That It would be better. Now, again, talking about the, this, this is some of his last time. And, and then he says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Hold short accounts. Then I want to move on, and I would like to get down to um, verse 5. And the apostle said to the Lord, now remember what he's just done. He's told him, you know, we're, we're, it's likely you're going to be offended and you're going to be causing offense. So what was their reaction? Let's look at verse 5. And the apostle said to the Lord, what? Increase our faith. Increase our faith so we don't do this. And I, I think many times when, when we're facing situations like this, our goal is to get better, right? What was his response? The Lord said, if you have faith as big as the mustard seed, remember the mustard seeds? If you've got faith that big, you're okay. So what's he saying? It's really not our quantity of faith that counts, is it? It's who we have faith in. It's our quality. It's, that's what counts. And he's, he's telling them again, you know, it, it's, it's not you guys can't be good enough to make this happen. I'm telling you, you, you depend on me. And as Carol was praying, you know, without God, we really can't do anything, can we? It's, it's, it's impossible for us to be what we need to be. And then as we, as we move on through there, um, I, I, I found it interesting that um, in verse 7, which of you having a servant, and, and we don't necessarily have this, but we might have employees that go out and do whatever. They're plowing a field, working all day in the field, and once that, that responsibility is over, what's that servant do? He has to come in, prepare supper, it says, as you read down through that. And as, as you do that, Think about what he's just said, what he's going to say here. Does this? Does he think that this servant, because he did the things that were commanded him, in other words, verse eight? But will he not rather say to him, "Prepare something for supper, gird yourself, serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you can eat and drink"? Verse ten. So likewise, you, when you have done all these things which you're commanded, what are we to say? Now, most of us have something within us that if, if we are doing things that we feel like the Lord wants us to do, something rises up within us and says, we're pretty good. You fight that? You know, we, we have things that are that we're doing that are good, and I'm, and I'm watching so-and-so, and they're not doing it. I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But he says, so likewise you, when you have done all these things which, you, which are commanded you, what do we say? We are what? Unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now, if we're obedient... And we serve, and we're doing the things we think God want, would have us to do. Does that give us the right to make more claims of God? Not really. And it, it always amazes me when I go to a, a funeral home or when, when I uh, find somebody who's, who's passed away. It seems like nearly every time, what do we start saying? Well, she was a good lady. She did these, this, and this. He was a good guy. But Jesus is saying, that's not going to help our salvation at all, is it? Isn't that what he's saying? That's, that's what we're expected to do. That's what we need to, to carry out, and we're expected to be like that. Without me going there, um, you might, might make a note in Romans 3, uh, particularly verse 9 and 10, and it talks about this, uh, this righteousness again is that our righteousness 
has no value in our sal- for our salvation. And we've heard that time and time again here. But it, he, he's just saying, just because we have right actions, it really does not, not such that, that we're going to be saved because of that. And so, Jesus, last days again, think what we're, where we're talking about, and he's saying to, to us that it's important for us to realize that our salvation depends on God totally, not on us. Go to verse 20. Then he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So they're listening to all this. And what are they concerned about? They're worrying about who's going to win the election, aren't they? When's the kingdom going to come? When are you going to come and straighten things out? Who's going to, you know, when's, when's the election going to go our way? And, you know, as, as you think about that, uh, again, <laughs> the Pharisees were looking at what? They were looking at the external. They were, they were looking at the physical, thinking that the right person in the right position was going to make things right. And that's true only if it's the Lord. <laughs> if it's not him, it's not going to happen. And, and, and we need to keep that in mind, you know, as we're facing our last days, as we're here in, in America, uh, thinking things are going to get better. <laughs> but remember, who's going to make them better? In verse 21, though, he says, Jesus is saying the kingdom, well, Verse 20 of the end, he says, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here and see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is where? It's within us. It's, he's talking about a, a kingdom that's internal, eternal. They're talking about a kingdom that is external, political, aren't they? And they're going to be a very disappointed bunch because it's not going to happen. It's not going to make a difference. And if you will, that it, it, it says within you, but in, in the King James, it says in your midst. And it's basically, he's, he's saying to them, you're looking at the one who's going to make the kingdom come. He's saying, you know, in your midst, he's talking about himself. And so, you know, it's, it's important for us to keep ourselves aware of, of what, how they see, how God sees things. I want to go to chapter 18, and we're going to go through this pretty quick, because that what we're looking at now are the things that Jesus saw as important, and, and most of this you notice is in red, in, as his, he was approaching the last days. He starts out in verse 18 talking about the persistent widow. You're all familiar with that. And then in verse 9, he talks about another parable. Now, he's making parables. These aren't situations. He's making parables. And there he's talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember the guy beating his chest, saying, you know, how bad he was? And the the other guy said, man, I'm glad I'm not like him. I think he has a message for us there. 15, in the midst of that, Jesus blesses not a parable. Jesus blesses the children. So what's he saying? He's showing us what's important, isn't he, in these last days and what we need to do. And then 18, not a parable again. We've got a rich young ruler who sees what's going on, and he comes to, to, comes to Jesus, and what's he asking him? Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he must have felt some lack I don't think he would ask that question, but maybe he felt like he had it made. Maybe he felt like his righteousness, because as you look at the things that he was doing, he said, you know, I've done all that all my life. That's not, that's not a problem for me. And, and uh, verse 21, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, what? You still lack one thing. Was, was the thing he lacked that he wasn't poor? You don't have to be poor to get in the kingdom, do you? But if, you know, I think the thing that, that, that's important there is that remember that our heart follows what? 
or treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And this guy's heart was following what? His dimes. He was, he was following what was going on there. And uh, we, we need to make sure that we put our treasure where we want our life to go. Think about that. We need to put our treasures where we want our life to go. And particularly as we're getting into the last days, I think that's very, very important. And then uh, let's go on, or look at verse 24 of 18. Um, just as, as you read that, basically the disciples are thinking about what Jesus said, and that was that this, this young ruler wasn't going to make it because he had his heart in the wrong place. And he said, it's, if you have riches, it's really difficult to get into the kingdom. You remember the, the story, and you can read it if you, if you want. But, you know, basically, it, you know, as you look at that, the thing that I want to um, point out is verse 27. The things which are impossible with man are what? Possible with God. In these last days, we're going to see situations where men can't, can't make them work. But God can. God can take situations and he can make them work. And you know, it's going to be our responsibility to have that grain of mustard seed, faith, and expect God to do great things. That's, where we're, that's, where, that's the kind of thing that we're in. Um, chapter 19. I am going to get through this introduction here in a minute. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. I think we all pretty well know uh, that, that particular story. And, you know, as you, as you look, at, look at that and, and his seeking, and if you will, he wanted his lamps trimmed, didn't he? He wanted them full of oil. And, and you know, we could take that and talk about that alone. But when you go over to verse 11, 11 of that chapter. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So, they're anticipating the kingdom of God and they're pretty sure it's going to appear immediately. And Jesus, as only... Jesus could do in verse 12 he said to them a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and I, many of you here have remember that basically he, he gave out these minas this money uh, to his servants and, and the last what I want to look at is the last part of verse 13 you there he told them I'm giving you this and you and I have lots of things God's given us, right? And he said, I want you to do what? I want you to do business. Some, some say I want you to occupy. And you know, as I looked up that particular word, it means stay engaged. Don't slack off. We may be toward the end times, but don't sit. Do business. You trade. Busy, busy, busyness for us is important at this stage, and we need to busy ourselves in doing things for the kingdom. Now, having said all that, what I want to really, you know, I think most of you have been here before, and you know that I'm reading through the Old Testament and just passing through Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges right now. And as I've been reading them, and, um, you know, I've done that a number of times, but it's always amazing to me what God gives shows me that I haven't seen in there before. And I began to see some parallels uh, to our Jesus telling us to occupy or do business until, until he comes back, until he returns. And, and the Jewish, the Hebrew people, he told them to go in and possess the land of promise. The land had been promised to them, and we want to look at some of that, but he told them to go in and possess it. Let's 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 look at that. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy seven. Verse one. When the Lord your God 
brings you into the land which you go to possess, and you've cast out many nations before you, and he mentions all the nations, seven, in the last part of verse 1, all seven nations, all seven nations, each one of them is greater and mightier than who? You. I want you to know you're going to go in and possess the land, but I want you to know you're in for a fight. And, and I think for us, you know, as, as we look at these last days, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to be challenged and we're going to be in for a fight. But, <laughs> but the part that I like is verse, the first part of that, uh, verse 1, he said what? You're going to possess it. It's going to happen. We have God's promise too, don't we? He tells us it's going to happen. But we have to go in and start possessing it. We need, we need to go in and, and, and do that. And is, I'm not sure how much of this I ought to read, but let's, let's go down to uh, verse 3. He's telling them when they get in there, in verse 2, he told them to go in and destroy, destroy them. Make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Now, I don't know exactly how to, 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 to put this in words, but we need to be careful who we're making promises to in the last days. It doesn't mean we shun everybody who's not a Christian. We need to be careful who we're putting our, our trust in and who, who we're, if you will, joining covenant with during these times. And, I, I, you know, as, as you think about that, it... The, the closer we get, the easier it is to see that maybe, you know, if I do such and such, I can influence those people. And many times it's our efforts to influence them and not God's. And we, we need to be careful that God's doing this. And he's telling us to do that. And usually what I find is when he starts telling me, it's usually something beyond anything I ever thought of. And it's probably harder than I can do. But he does it. And so, you know, as you're thinking about that, let's, well, let me get down to verse 22 just a moment. Now, in verse 1, he says they're going to go in and they're going to possess it. He makes the promise. And then, then as we go to verse 22, he says, And the Lord your God will drive out the nations before you. How? Little by little, you will be unable to destroy them all at once, lest the beasts of the fields become too numerous to you. And so, is that contradictory to you? You know, as I've been, uh, as I was reading this one morning, I said, okay, Lord, uh, what, what, what are you saying here? And as, as you follow through, um, well, let's go. Let's go on down, verse 23, and I'll come back to that. And the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand, and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you. Now think, this, this is promises he's given them. You and I have promises in this day and age, right? And these are promises that they can't keep. But he can keep for them. You see what he's doing? He's taking us and having us walk out in the water, isn't he? We're walking out in the waves. And I think we're going to see a challenge to do that more and more in these last days. Verse 25, you shall burn their, image, their carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver, the gold that's on them, nor take it for yourselves. Now, you know, we ought to take the silver and give it to God's house, right? He says, don't mess with it. Lest you be snared by it, for it's an abomination to the Lord your God. It's, it, it's dedicated to their gods. Nor shall you bring an abomination into the house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. So here we have, if you will, God opening up what we're to do, and, I, and as I was thinking about this, you remember the day you were saved, and, and 
I think most of us can remember that day. May, may not remember the exact date, but you remember the day. And how at that point, everything was great, right? But it wasn't long after that that you found out that there were some enemies in the land. And most of them were in here, weren't they? So salvation's one thing, but us being sanctified and becoming, if you will, right, more righteous in our actions is another thing. Now, we're righteous before God, right, because of the blood, but our righteous actions are another thing. And as I was thinking about that, I've got to be careful here now. We put a lot of stake in what happened in November, didn't we? And that being the case, and I think rightly so, but since that time, what's been happening? The feet came in November, but the possession's coming when? (laughs) Some of it hasn't happened yet, has it? And that's what happened to the, the Israelites when they went into the, into the country. They defeated the cities. They defeated the kings. But the hills were full of them, weren't they? And they had to possess that a little at a time. Now, you and I, you may have an idea what God wants you to do to occupy. But if you're anything like me, it's a lot bigger than anything I can do. But he can Well, I'd like to have some discussion now. But let's go to Joshua 10. I'd like to know what you're thinking. Ten one. Now it came to pass when the king of Jerusalem heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, and he had done and and as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gideon, Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. And what happened? They greatly feared. Who feared? The opposition greatly feared because they saw what God was doing. And as, as, you, as you follow down through that, the it's, it's a lot like spiritual warfare. Once, once we win one battle, once we win one situation, what happens? Another one comes, doesn't it? And, and if we're not careful, we'll sit on the laurels of what we just won and lose it all. Because we don't see what the enemy is bringing against us. Look at verse 5. So they just, they just captured these two cities... You, you, you know the story. Had a little trouble with AI, didn't we? Because we were too good and didn't depend on God. But now, you know, they've been destroyed. It's all been done. And of course, these Gibeonites, they, they saw what was happening. And remember, they, they came and they said they came from a long distance away and they had the moldy bread and all that stuff. They lied to them. They made a covenant with them that's going to bite them as you go on through here. Verse 5, therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, and these are basically towns, not countries now, and Jeremoth, and and Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and the camp before Gibeon, Gibeon, and made war against it. So here we have somebody that we have made a covenant with and they're being attacked and whose responsibility are they now they're mine because I just I made a covenant with them and so they made this covenant and and that being the case the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying do not forsake your servants come up to us quickly save us help us for the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua descended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Now, 
At this point, we have five kings and all their men and Joshua and his men. Which is the biggest pal? As normal, right? It's the other side. And so, so he said, God says to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them in your hand, and not a man of them will stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down. And, and, and as you read the rest of that through there, all that happened happened because God went before Joshua and his men and took care of them, and they routed them out of there. And, you know, as you think about that then, that's the way God wants, to, wants us to see things too. And after Ai and after Jericho, uh, God had really strengthened the faith of some of these uh, men who before that had had a little bit of question whether they could do all that God had promised. And, and as they had that insurance and knowing that they had to fight to possess this promise. And then that's when the five kings came. And let's go to Joshua, or, or go to verse uh, 12 and 13. Am I in the right chapter? I think so. Yep. So all the cities of the kings and all the kings Joshua took, and he struck with the edge of the sword he utterly destroyed them as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded but as for the cities that stood on the the mounds Israel burned some of them except Hazar only which Joshua burned and and all the spoil of these cities and the livestock and the children Israel took bounties for themselves but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and they left none breathing as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua and Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded him. And so if you will, you know, here they are. They're in a, in a situation where they have um, uh, come up against these folks, and, and in that process, then uh, uh, he has totally overcome them. Um, and, and then I want to I want to go uh, then on down. God's forces won, but Satan's demons were defeated. You remember uh, in the situation where Joshua asked the sun and the moon to stand still. Why was that important? Yeah, it gave them more time, and they were able to finish the slaughter. But what was really happening was. The Lord God, if you will, the Lord was fighting and showing that he had control over their gods, which were the sun and the moon. That's who they saw as their gods. And so it was a spiritual victory for, for the children as well as a physical victory. And, and I think it's important for us to realize that, you know, uh, God's forces won, but Satan's demons were defeated. That's, that's the important part. We, you know, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. You know, we are in a spiritual warfare, and that continues on today. Joshua's faith, as he you know, asked the sun to stand still and, and the moon, and his tenacity are an example for us in spiritual conflict. We need to trust the Lord. We, we need to be people who stand there. And I want to go then to verse, um, let's see, 24. Have I changed chapters yet? In verse 24, after they got all the kings together and, and they had captured them, he told, uh, he told them to t- take the kings and put them on the, on the ground, and as they laid there, what were they to do to them? They were to take their foot and put it where? Put it on the neck. Now, there are times that you and I 
need to put our foot to the neck of the enemy. You, you have a foot that is an instrument of God, and we, we can put it to Satan's neck and break that power. And, and, and we need to see that, that you know, that's, where, that's where we're headed. And as, as you look at what Joshua did in defeating all those kings and all, it was a big battle because all five kings came together, but the victory was that much bigger too, wasn't it? And God took care of it pretty much all at once. Now, then we got into some, got into some difficulties. Let's go to chapter 14. Got a, we got a lot of victories. We've got a lot of things going our way. And I don't... I, I think most of you probably recognize this. After the victories were, were won, then it came time to split up the land and give it to, to God's people so that they could go in and possess it. Let's, let's look at uh, 14.6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb. You remember that guy? 45 years ago, when he went into the promised land, he saw the giants. He saw the opposition, and what did he do? We can handle it. God will give us victory over that. And he and Joshua had that report, but the other ten was what? They're too big. We're like grasshoppers. And particularly, they got giants. All right. So here we are, 45 years later. Bruce, you understand this, right? The children of Judah came to Joshua, Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jenoph, said, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and, and Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of God, sent me to spy out the land. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly did what? I wholly followed or I wholly trusted the Lord. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has just walked over will be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly trusted, wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, for 45 years. Okay? So we have a, a young buck here, 85 years old at this point, don't we? Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day. This guy has been looking beyond the battle, looking beyond the situation to what? Someday I'm going to own that mountain. Now who's on the mountain? <laughs> it's his job to possess it, right? And it verse, can I get down to verse 11, and as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both from going out and coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day now who, who is this he's talking about? Anakim. That's the giants. And guess where they live? On that mountain. You heard that they were there, and the cities were great and fortified. But then he says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. Now, that's, that's kind of a poor interpretation of what, it, what he really said. I believe the Lord's going to be with me. That's what he's really saying. I believe the Lord will be with me. And I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. The Lord promised him that they'd be driven out. And he believes the Lord's going to do that. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to, uh, to Caleb. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of, of the Kenite. Because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Told us that three times. Must, it must have been important to the Lord. And, and the name of, of this town, Hebron, was Kerjath Arba. And guess who Arba was? He was the greatest man 
among these giants. So they named the town after him, and Caleb said, that's the town I want. Then the land had rest from war. And to me, Caleb's an example of looking beyond the situation, looking beyond where we are, and seeing what God has promised and what he's going to do. And many times as we're praying in faith, that's what we're doing, isn't it? And, and I would just challenge you, it's, you need to watch what your eyes see sometimes. You, you need to see what God has said and what's in the heart. Because if you're not careful, we'll be that very person that God kept telling Joshua not to be. He said, don't, don't, look, don't be fearful of them. Don't be fearful of the situation. Trust God. And that's what they did. Now, I, I got I to go one more place in that. Um, I think it's in 17. Oh, no. It's not there. Anyway, uh, it, oh, it's, it's in chapter 17, verse 14 and 15. As you're possessing the land, here we go, all right? So the land's been divided up, and the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest land and clear a place for yourself. There is the land of the parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. Now, if you really look back at what he gave them, he gave those two that are making the complaint more land than any other group. And if we're not careful, it's pretty easy to be displeased with what God's done, right, and want more. And the more you get, the more you want. But he said, there's more out there. All you have to do is go clear it. You've got to go possess it. And they didn't like that idea. And, and if you read on, you'll find that they made, they made some bad choices and didn't get done what they needed to do. So let's think back. Remember back in Deuteronomy verse, in chapter 7, and the Lord your, he said, The Lord your God will drive out those nations little by little, and, you'll be un, you'll be, and you will be unable to destroy them all at once, but eventually you're going to possess that land. And he's promising them, if you will, that, that it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, but you can do it. And then verse chapter 9, 1 and 6, he promises the Israelites that they are going to kill, they're going to take care of all this situation. And I was thinking, okay, that's good for them, but what about us? And let, uh, let's go to Ephesians 3. How does this all apply to where you and I are right now? Ephesians 3. And uh, let's start with verse 14. And for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ from whom, now we realize Paul's speaking to the Ephesians here, from whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the spirit in the inner man. That's our promise, isn't it? We, we can have that, that strengthening of the spirit in our inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is your width, length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, can you take that as your promise? Can I take that as my promise? I trust so because it's, it's there for us. It's, it's the same as Joshua being told, you're going to go in and you're going to take this whole territory. You're going to get all these towns. You're going to kill all these people. You're going you're, you're to go in and possess it. But you and I have to... We have to possess, don't we? We have to occupy. It's time now to occupy until he comes. And, and then verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, 
abundantly above all that you ask or think. You ever thought about that? How much can you think or ask? A lot more than we ought to sometimes, right? And he's saying it's going to be bigger than anything you can think of. Think about that. Bigger than we can think of. What a promise that God has given us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And I really hung on to that all generations. I've got little guys that I get concerned about what they're going to be facing. But he says all generations. All generations. One more place we've got to go. 1 John 3. Are you ready to go occupy? Are you ready to go occupy? We're going to follow Carol. 3. 1 John 3. Particularly the, the uh, verse 8, the very last part. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he ought. Why did, why did Christ come? What's it say? That he might destroy the works of the devil, the works of the enemy. You and I have that promise. When we get into situations and we see what the enemy's doing, what's our promise? Jesus came to take care of that. He's going to destroy that. Think about that. There isn't any battle that he's not capable of handling, capable of doing. Now, just in case you're, that's not sunk in yet, let's go to John 19. You know, we're, we're approaching Easter, so I've got to do this one. John 19. Or 28. Christ is on the cross. And, and I, I appreciate that they were singing tonight a lot about the cross. But he's on the cross. And, and after this, and, and basically everything that's happened, the crucifixion, the words he said from the cross, everything before that. And, and then verse 28 says, after that, Jesus. So all this other's happened knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said what? I thirst. There's one thing to be done yet. He's on the cross. There's one thing to be done. There's a scripture that says what? They're going to offer him <laughs> this bitter drink. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. They filled a sponge with the sour wine, put it in hyssop, put it to his mouth so that Jesus had received, had received the sour wine. He said, after that had happened... He said, what? Everything's done. It's finished. And at that point, he's saying to you and I that all of the, the power that, that we gave the enemy back at creation where we disobeyed in the garden, at that point, all that power has been restored to who? To us. Think about that. But we've got to go in and occupy it. We've got to go in and possess it, don't we? Just like they had to go possess it, you and I have got to possess it. And don't look at the situation. I, I think that's probably the, the hardest part that we have. Uh, You've got to look beyond the fight. The battle might be before us. It might be right there for us to look at. But the victory is beyond the battle. The victory is beyond the battle. So we have to have the battle. And all the kings were destroyed in battle, but the victory came after that, and they got to go in and possess the land. And remember, one scripture said they had rest. Now, we get a few hours of rest sometimes, right, before the enemy comes back after us. But, but we, we can be people who, who can possess what God wants us to, and we can also have some rest in, the, in that process if we do the battle first. But you notice the rest came after the battle, didn't it? Let's stand. You can turn the lights down. And Any of you have battles before you? 
Who doesn't, right? But by the same token, what's beyond the battle? That's where the victory is, isn't it? That's, that's where you and I need to keep our focus on. It says that we need to, to as we're racing and as we're headed for the finish line, we keep our eye on what? On the prize. And the prize is before us. So, Father, you know each person's here, and you know the battle that they're facing. And I'm sure the enemies tried to make it so big that they can see there's no way through it. And in themselves, there is no way through it. But Jesus said it's already finished. He's already bound the enemy. He has already broken his power. And it's just because we don't possess that that he has any power left. The only reason that those cities were still occupied is because God's people didn't finish the work. And so, Father, I pray as we, Lord, take some time to just think about the battle But look beyond it to the victory because you want us to be a victorious people. You want us to be a people who win. And, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I I pray, Father, that in the midst of all of this, that your spirit is showing us, Father, where we we can trust you in all circumstances. And we can just open ourselves to you. And we give you thanks and praise. So if the booth would start some music, if there are things that you need to uh, battle through, there are things you need to come and be reminded of what God has done for you, come on down to the altar. Let's, let's take some time to see the victory, see beyond the battle.